0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of One Vision. Today, Brad and I will do a little bit of recap of the week that was, and that was quite a action-packed week, shall we say. Uh, first, we'll start off with a news that got a lot of us excited. Jane Fraser was named the new Citigroup CEO. It's a historic succession, if you will, since she is going to be the first female bank CEO um, of a major Wall Street bank. Now, here's a little bone I'm going to want to pick, Brad, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm picky with that. I love the news. I love the fact that finally we're going to get a woman CEO in a major, major Wall Street bank that sends a message. But here is the bone I want to pick. If you look across how the media has portrayed the news, most of them are focused on the fact that city makes the appointment. The others stress the fact that a woman CEO got appointed. But we need to focus on the fact that there's this person who has done amazing thing and her name is Jane Fraser. She has an identity before she's being appointed to be the first woman to lead a major U.S. bank. She has major accomplishments. She has done a lot of things. So the article I love the most is the one from Fast Company, where they started with her name, Jane Fraser, City's new CEO, is the first woman to lead a major U.S. bank. There were plenty of other ones that talked about how the C- the outgoing CEO, Michael Corbett, is going to be retiring and hence someone else is going to replace them. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, it- more bank CEOs that are women. Um, there are plenty of women in the execs, uh, C-suite sort of side of many of these banks. And you know, when Wells Fargo announced their new one and a couple other banks within the last four or five years have announced major placements, it just, again, doesn't make any sense because I think women would probably run some of these banks uh, a little bit better and certainly would have a little bit more empathy for the market. Um, we, we looked out at the list of Fortune 500 CEOs that are women, um, just to kind of think about this in context. And there's about 6%, a little bit over 6% of Fortune 500 CEOs that are women. And we think about that and we think about you know, the, the representation of women in society, and it's 51% women and you know 49% men. And then you think about what the makeup of executives are and C-suite are and going down that list. And it's like, it's great that the CEO of General Motors is a woman, Mary Barra, that Gail Boudreau is an anthem, um, that Lockheed Martin is run by Marilyn Houston and so on and so on. And we've got some pretty amazing companies that are represented, but it's not representative of society. And that is, I think, the problem. And and that's you know not just why we should be mad at a headline because the headline simply reinforces a bias or it reinforces the fact that, hey, it's a woman. When are we gonna to get to the point where it's just, hey, you know, Jane Fraser's now the CEO and that's it. It's not about who's leaving and what that means. It's about the fact that this very qualified person came in and is now the CEO. I
0: agree. And there was another part of her story that caught my eye, which was not widely reported, but I think that's something that is remarkable and needs to be talked about more often is the fact that she said her husband quit his job as head of global banking at a European bank in order to support her career. Now, here's the thing that a lot of us don't like to talk about is the fact that having the guts to go after something you want, having the smarts to do what you're good at is only part of the equation. As a society, we still are very biased towards women taking certain roles, namely taking a lot of the domestic duties, taking care of their parents, taking care of the in-laws, etc., etc., so much so that it amounts to seven extra years that women do in unpaid domestic work compared to men. I am not saying that that's always the case, but in a majority of the cases, it's not about women leaning in or not leaning in. It's not about whether or not women are spending enough time wanting to go after what they want. It's about the fact that there are certain things that are not in their control. I remember talking to someone a few years ago, and she is the head of a very successful company. And she told me she couldn't have gotten to where she is had her husband not be willing to move overseas with her, knowing that that would have been an important stepping stone for her to be able to get to where she wants as executive of the company, because a lot of these positions require overseas experience. And so there you have it. I think within my circle, I know more women who take a backseat to their career. I know more women who take breaks from their career myself included i don't see a lot of spouses men who are willing to step up and say you know what i hear you i see what you're trying to do and i'm going to support you and i think to get to a stage where we can have more of jane fraser it's not about women not trying hard enough it's about us creating a support system that provides affordable and available childcare that creates a culture that is more open to working women coming back after maternity leave that is flexible to allow us to balance our work and life and until all of that happens we need to stop blaming women for not trying enough for not putting in enough hours to go after what they want and i I absolutely do not like that people that know me knows that whenever we talk about the list of you know most influential acts who always say, oh, look at look at how this, you know, person accomplished X, Y, Z and how women can have it all. I think it sets a trap for a lot of us. And uh, speaking of, there was another story that came from Europe. And this time is the CEO of Sephora. As everyone would know, Sephora is this major company that sells cosmetics and targeting mostly women. The outgoing CEO, a white male have decided that he is going to appoint another French white male um, to be the next president CEO of Sephora, and even mentioned the fact that because he reminds him of himself. So now let's think about this way: How are we ever going to break out of the circle of another guy? Finding another guy to replace them, and yeah, finding another guy to replace them, we're we're not going to be able to break out from that.
1: I don't know a lot about makeup, um, and I'm I'm hoping that this guy uh, knows a little bit. But uh, I could imagine that um, a woman who actually uses the product might be a little bit under understanding about how to run the same thing.
0: It, it it dumbfounds me. We're 2020, um, so I'm gonna get off my soapbox let's go back to um, financial services and fintech. What's going on with Santander?
1: Yeah, so just announced today, very exciting um, for some folks I used to work with. So as many of you know, I was uh, working at Santander in the US as the first country head of innovation. And one of my first trips to Madrid, uh, I got to meet Mariano Belinke, who founded and started at Santander, Santander and Adventures, worked with um, Marino and team, and eventually when we brought in Manuel Silva Martinez um, to join the ventures team, and he had come from BBVA and Propel, which eventually became Propel Ventures, um, he kind of took over at, at a later date on the entire fund. Well, what it was announced today was that they are doubling the investment amount, so they're giving them $400 million of new allotted funds, and they have rebranded as Moro Capital, as a independent uh, venture fund from something there. Now, what's interesting about this is not only doubling the commitment to $400 million, which is um, really reinforcing the fact that they've had a great track record. So they've had a couple exits that, including um, unicorns of iZettle, which sold to PayPal for $2 billion and Cabbage, which was acquired by Amex uh, last month. Cabbage, of course, was a U.S. company that uh, Manuel Baldesano and myself had introduced to the fund. And it's just, you know, again, if you look at the track record of of investing in Ripple and trade ships and and all these other providers, they are really moving the needle for what's happening inside Santander. And I'm just super excited for Manuel and his team to have the opportunity to now invest in things in many cases that are going to be competitive with Santander. And I think that the bank is going to get a lot out of that uh, relationship with the fund. So that's really exciting to me. It's very similar to what BVA did um, with Ventures and became Propel. And uh, it just, I think it's going to be really, really good for them.
0: That, that's awesome. Um, I, I think we, we would like to see more activities on that on that front. Um, Speaking of funding and many, here's another big number. Real estate startup Orchid just announced that it closed on a $69 million series C round led by Revolution Growth and bringing its total funding raised to $138 million. Now, it seems that during the recession there are still quite a few startups that have been able to close mega deals. Um, What's interesting, about Orchid is that it allows users to find and buy and sell homes all on one site, um, which is a challenge. Um, I remember I went through it a couple of times when I have an existing property I'm living in, I'm trying to get a new one, exchange homes and it can get messy. Um, But this also speaks to a trend that we've been seeing people moving in and out of different urban centers. Uh, moving places we have had fronts that are leaving cities, going to the suburb um, in the past few months because of the pandemic and social distancing, et cetera, et cetera. Where do you see the future of cities, Brad? Because you are like right there.
1: Yeah, there's there's been an, an awful lot of um, San Francisco has done, New York has done sort of um, articles in the past few weeks, especially with this past uh, couple of days, the weather and the smoke in Northern California uh, San Francisco and the entire Bay Area was orange uh, two days ago, and it was something that no one has ever seen. And though the air quality the other day was not so bad because the the smoke itself was in sort of the upper atmosphere, um, the glow of which made it feel very apocalyptic. And the mood around this city <laughs> in this area have, have really responded in kind. Um, I don't think that the the end of cities is nigh, right? I think that there are a lot of people um, that have sort of rethought out about um, what the city is to them and what it means to them. But what I, I think is happening is that people that were sort of new to areas like San Francisco and coming from the outside came here for things like the access to capital, the access to people that were building things. I don't think that's going to change. I don't think that's going to change for New York. I don't think that's going to change for Silicon Valley what hopefully will change is that some of the costs associated with living here are going to go down a little bit and make it more affordable for, let's just say, more interesting people to move in. Um, We need to not kick out our artists. We need to not kick out our blue-collar workers. We need to not kick out the people that made these areas what they are. Um, It's nice that we have a lot of people coming in and getting great jobs and working in places like Facebook and Google and whoever else. Um, But you know what? Shiny little apps are not is not going to be what we need more of in the future. We don't need 16 different applications to make an Instagram or a TikTok post look a little bit better. We need something more meaningful. And again, you don't have more meaningful people be able to afford five dollars to $6,000 dollars one bedroom rentals very long. Um, so to me, if it reduced the cost of living here and it makes it more livable for more people, I'm more for it.
0: Yeah, and I think what will be interesting too is looking at creating more local communities, right? Places where people work and live um at the same time instead of what we have right now, which is the big urban centers, people shuttle in literally, and then is a mass exodus in the evening. Um, it's not the best way of living because I lived it myself. I remember um I had I had a work where um, I had a gig where It's literally four hours commute time, two hours each way, and it was painful. That is not the best way of of life. That's not the best way to spend your time either. And um, if there's one thing that we've learned in the last few months is that time is precious, is limited, Um, and I'm appreciating the the boundaries of time much more so now that the kids are back in virtual learning and we're trying to juggle multiple roles, um, the teaching aides, um, the nanny, the cleaning lady, the cook, um, and doing what we do. So I'm hopeful that um, this will create a different way for us for us to connect with each other. Um, although at the same time, though, we're starting to see news of tech companies um, trying to change or lower the income of workers who are saying guess what i'm done with city life and i'm going to do remote work so that's a little bit um worrisome
1: okay so so we did see that you know announced i think a couple months ago where facebook basically allowed people to live anywhere in the world you know for this period of time and they said you don't have to come back to the end of the year or what have you um all sitting good but the next thing they said in that you know, sort of release of information was, hey, if you move to Bali, or if you move to Malaysia, or if you move to, you know, somewhere that you want to be, that still works for us. But we're going to pay you less because you no longer have to pay the high rents in the Bay Area. Well, what's going to happen if you continue to have these offices in the Bay Area, people still come to them, you know, say it's toward the, the middle of next year, whenever it is that that sort of a new sort of normal comes into play, and rents are lowered. So you're going to tell me that if rents are lowered by, you know, an average of 25% across the Bay Area, are you going to reduce salaries 25%? No, not whatsoever. So what they're saying is they're reinforcing this idea that physical proximity to the mothership within the office headquarters is somehow important to salary, regardless of where it is. But this is also why some companies have moved to smaller markets so that they could save on labor costs. All fine and dandy. All I care about is that more companies go to other markets than just the Bay Area and big cities, um, because you're losing so much perspective on who uses your product, what matters in the economy, what types of products and services actually aren't just built for tech bros or for white people or for you know just this dichotomy that that you know we we think we're building something for people that want it. And we might be, but the people that want it and use it and are building these things in some cases are like 4% of the entire population of not just this country, but every country. I mean, come on.
0: So along with that line, you might be interested to know that JP Morgan announced yesterday that they are requiring as traders to return to the office by September 21st, which is 10 days from now, after working remotely for six months. So there you have it. Um, I think it's gonna take a while for the industry to change, <laughs> if anything. I think the end of cities is far from near if these companies keep bringing their people back to work. Um, we heard from our friends in the UK that a certain financial institution so desperate for their people to get back to the office that they're willing to pay them two nights stay in a hotel every week so that they don't have to commute um i heard of an other institutions that are paying their staff to come to the office by taxi so they don't have to commute in the subway change is hard we never say that's easy uh, speaking of change and other big change we have been seeing the last few months is changing of in-person events to virtual events. So now for those of us who have followed us, know that we have been in a few of these virtual events with FinTech talents, good friends of ours, Victor, Liz and Lisa over in the UK. We just wrapped up and other FinTech talents, this one is North America this week. And I have to say, I love that platform. Now, a lot of the sessions were pre-recorded, but what was really cool about the hopping platform is that we could all get engaged on the side chat on the day of the event. So we all showed up and it was like a big community. And and I think that's the thing with virtual conferences is that it's not there to replicate the analog experience that we used to have running into people in the hallway, grabbing coffee and sitting in four days of never ending session. That is not the point. The point of a lot of these is how do we build a community and that's how you make things work. And I think to that kudos to the FinTech talents team. It was an amazing community and we would go back any day. Um, There were a few interesting sessions. Um, The first one started off with, um, scott estrada he's the director of public policy with a firm he started with the state of the nation and Brad, i have to say i can go back and re-watch that segment every single day it was inspiring it was moving and it reinforces why we are doing what we're doing he talked about his personal experience growing up coming from a family that needed payday lending service. He talked about how for him growing up as a young child, when he went into the payday lending store, he was very excited because he know and he correlated that to pizza day because that's the day when his family will get pizza. He didn't know and didn't realize that. That also meant his dad was paying 800% interest in order to get that money because there was no other affordable options. For his family, that was a necessity. A few things that he talked about was that we need to proactively create the space for diverse voices to emerge in the discussion. Is not enough to just give them a seat. We have to give them the mic so we can get to hear them. We can get to listen to the experiences. When we're building solutions, Brad, to your point, we need to build them with purpose, by understanding the cultural context of things, by understanding how things were, from a history perspective, we cannot ignore the systemic bias that's in our system, but together we can create ways to solve it. That was my takeaway from um, from his session, of course, and he quoted Mark Twain. Um, so I was bawling.
1: I think, um... You know, One of the things that, that he sort of demonstrated there is something that we've been writing about and eventually we will tell you more about a project that we're working on uh, in terms of writing. But um, you, you, you have the concept of systems leadership, which really kind of gets to the point, it kind of goes beyond this idea of thinking about um, your broader community. It, it's about sort of embedding yourself in the community and enabling more of your team more of your diverse team that's coming from that community to really lead your strategies going forward. Um, But it's kind of like the the idea of taking different viewpoints and pushing them forward, and ensuring that you're pulling people from different parts of the organization, and you're pulling people that come from your community and look like your community in order to help lead your organization. And, you know, to hear executives have different backgrounds that are not just ones that are privileged that are not your typical sort of wall street um, or banking executive types within these fintechs just reminds us that the diversity of what we're seeing in these startups is incredibly important and on that note um, the panel that i led that day um, was called the heartland of banking and it talked about communities and the way that different banks sort of define that and so I, I led four different bank conversations here talking about their stories. It was Huma Usami from Radius Bank. It was Joshua Rowland, who was the CEO of Lead Bank. Lisa Violet, uh, who comes from Vero Bank, um, previously Vero Money, with their new national charter. And uh, Jesse Honenberg from the Cross River Bank. And so two of these banks, um, Radius and Cross River, are sort of fintech enablers or other um financial institution enablers and they provide tools in order to provide things like um, access to credit and Cross River talked about, you know, their community, which includes, again, startups and community banks, and they are the backbone of a lot of these services. And they helped deliver PPP loans through Cabbage and other fintechs. And they were one of the largest providers and purveyors of that type of program. Then you got to hear about Money and how now they have 2 million customers. And how their community is very, very different and broad, like a national bank, but how they're really treating, you know, the the community that they have created a lot differently than you would get from any sort of national bank branding. And it's just so great to see them grow. And then finally, Lead Bank's story was interesting. This is a eighty year old financial institution based in the Midwest, and what you know um, Joshua had is, in terms of his story was talking about. Are there are multiple communities within your community that, that you have to understand how to serve you know lgbt2 um and you know how you serve women how you serve people that are gig workers and how you just you know there's multiple people within your community that define themselves as different communities themselves right i'm 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 a husband i'm a father i'm a you know person in fintech i'm a person that cares about x y and z I associate myself with, you know, A, B, and C. And that's what he was talking about. And he just gave this great story about their bank and how after 80 years and three generations, they are with three branches serving their communities and their host of communities in new ways and leveraging technology in order to do that. it's just, it was, it was a really, really great session.
0: Um, I love what Jesse said um, during the session. I actually wrote it down. Uh, he said, "Tech is not a destination; it's part of a journey," and and I think that is very very true. As for those of you who are out there building solutions, that's something we need to remember. They customers don't really care about what we call it, right? We talked about what is open banking, what is open finance. That's not what consumers care about. Consumers care about getting something done, that's something associated with their life, with their aspiration, dream, or obligations. That's what they care about. The road to it is our job to make it easier for them. Um, and I love the panel that I closed. Of course, I'm biased with that. Um, but we, had, um, we closed off with an amazing discussion on tech and ethics right and um, one thing that's our good friend noelle silver she keeps reminding me of is we cannot forget about humans she quoted mother teresa um, and she said if you cannot feed a hundred feed one right it reminds us of how important it is that we cannot lose focus of what we're trying to do our purpose our, our purpose is not to throw out the shiny new gadgets, it's not the ones in the zeroes, it's about our sense of responsibility. It's about bringing and lifting other voices out. It's about using technology as an enabler to make things better for other people. It's about recognizing our privilege and using our voice to lift up those who need help. And we owe it to the rest to be able to do that for them. Um, and I'll close it off with, um, we talked a lot about ethics and what does ethics mean? And she said, being an ambassador for truth and that's ethics. So don't forget about humans, no matter what you're doing, either you can be developing advanced emerging technology, like artificial intelligence, or you're just creating an app serving someone else. Remember, do not forget the human in the loop because in the end of the day, that's what we are. So thank you so much for listening in for another episode of One Vision.